starting in verse 18. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life, I just pray that you give us ears to hear your written word, and I pray that you give us a measure of wisdom from this portion of Scripture, a measure of wisdom that we haven't had. Lord, I just pray that you give me wisdom and guidance in representing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 18, starting in verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila at Centria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollo, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, he was an eloquent, eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Archaea, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. You may be seated. And we're looking at the, the life of the early church. And this is important for us because it's our history. It's our church family history. This is our family tree. And it helps us to understand how the early church worked and prospered and thrived. So it's very important to learn these lessons and to live them out. But we're going to go back a little bit, back to verse 14, because a lot of what we see in the verses that I just read are occurring because of this. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. They all seized Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Now, I mentioned in the last sermon how big this is. 
something that we, we have to remember because this is a huge decision by Gallio. Remember, he was the region, the ruler of that region of the Roman Empire. So when they made a decree, it was like our Supreme Court saying, this is it. You know, it set precedent. Set a precedent for Paul and the other Christians. The Roman Empire now looked at Christianity as part of the Jewish religion. So that allowed Paul to practice his religion without persecution. Because that's what the Romans did when they occupied a nation. They would let the people practice their religion. It was protected. So now Paul was protected. And it gave him the right. He was protected by the Romans that he could practice his religion because they looked at it as an offshoot of the Jewish religion. And also, Paul being a Roman citizen, he had rights there also to a trial. So he could go about more freely now, preaching, discipling, encouraging the other churches with less fear of being beaten. Remember how it was earlier in the book of Acts. It seemed everywhere he was going, he was either being threatened or beaten, chased out of town. But now, he would have a break from that. It was double protection for Paul, especially with his Roman citizenship. Again, he could move around with less fear. I say less fear because there's always some people who are willing to break the laws of the land to do evil. But on paper, Paul had the right to preach freely, to walk about that whole region. But it was a little less fortunate for the believers because, you know, they beat this Sothesis in front of Gallio, and Gallio did nothing. These Jews, when I talk about the Jews, I'm saying the, the religious leaders, they were testing the waters. They were seeing what they could get away with. You know, they had their own laws. They never really uh, put this Sothenes on trial. So they were breaking their own laws. But they beat him in front of Gallio. He did nothing. So they could now, in their mind, freely beat Christians who were coming out of their Jewish religion. And the Roman Empire, pretty wouldn't, they wouldn't do much about it. So for the Christians... The everyday Christians, it was worse, but for Paul, it was better because of his Roman citizenship. They couldn't touch him, but they could show venom to the other Christians. And Paul stayed many days in Corinth. I believe, you know, Paul needed a rest. He needed a rest from all the threats, the beatings. I mean, we as human beings can only take so much abuse before it gets to us, and God knows that. And here Paul, you know, we don't see where there was physical abuse or threatening here at Corinth. So he stayed there. And, you know, God is close to us. He understands us. And he also brought him faithful companions in ministry. And Paul knew his, his duty was to plant and enrich churches. Even though it was a peaceful time in Corinth for him, he knew he had to move on. And after this, Paul stayed many days longer 
and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. You know, we see God providing faithful workers. We see God's providence in these verses. Paul now has new companions with them, Priscilla and Aquila, faithful servants who go with them, but also they have that tent-making bond. You know, they're all tent makers. You know, many times Christians do work together. It forms that tight bond and unity. But it was used to help advance the church. Again, God is always providing faithful companions, faithful workers. We're never out on on a limb by ourselves as Christians. It may feel like it when we're witnessing the people, but God is preparing their hearts. Other people are working in their hearts. And in ministry, it's the same thing. You try a church plant, God is working there with his people. He's near to us. You know, at Centuria, he cut his hair for he was under a vow. You know, we're given a little information about a vow here, but not much really to expound on. The shaving of the head was done for two reasons. To complete a vow, at the completion of a vow, or for some reason you broke a vow and you had to start over. Uh, again, we don't have enough information on why or what Paul had vowed here. But we can take away from it, Paul took it serious because shaving of the head is a sign of humility. And so I think we must take any vow or any promises we say to God very seriously. I know God does. And then they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Again, Paul is continually on the move. He knows his job. And here at Ephesus, he's enriching the disciples there. He is confronting with the Jews, normal pattern, going to the Jewish synagogue first, trying to convert more Jews. Because once they're converted, it's easier for them to accept the Gentiles. Remember, there's still that rift where the Jews thought, you know, the, well, the Gentile dogs and that, and it's hard to break those long-standing opinions of people. But notice he, he always goes back to the Old Testament, that Jesus is the Messiah with the Jews. You know, he didn't have to go back the creation like he does with the, the pagans because the Jews understood and believed that God created them. That's a sign of witness for us, you know, Use the whole scripture, the Old Testament, everything. It's all God's word. When they asked him to stay longer in verse 20, he declined, but on taking leave he, of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. And here at Ephesus, Paul sees more success. The, console, the converted souls, they wanted him to remain and disciple them further. And again, I want to mention this. It's so important. There's no threats of violence or beatings against Paul. He's moving about freely. Again, this is because of the decision made by Gallio. But for us, it gives us the evidence of how just laws work. This is the effect of a just law given by a non-believer. But if there are just laws given by non-believers, they're just as effective if they're godly laws. 
And that's why it's so important for us to understand, for us to advance God's kingdom, we have to advance God's laws in the nation. That is where the blessing comes. That is the protection for people. That is when people see the real results of Christianity in a nation. God's kingdom is advanced when his laws are upheld. You know, our God is near to us. Our God is ruling. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's there to help us, but he's ruling also in the nations. You know, this is why, you know, with this this COVID stuff and the difficulties we see in the world, it uh, kind of... I hear a lot, oh, these are the end days, you know, you know, God's going to turn the reins over to Satan for a thousand years, you know, and, you know, it's offensive, and I got to bite my tongue because our God will not turn over his kingdom to anybody for any reason, not for one second, not for a thousand years. It's foolishness to believe that. Our God is reigning. He's sitting on the throne. He will not step off that throne till he returns at the end of time. And for me, I'm getting better at being more diplomatic and steering these saints, and they are saints, they're true believers. I mentioned books and stuff they can read, but I do tell them I disagree strongly. And I tell them God will not. You know, it says God will not share his glory with another. Why would he share his glory with Satan? And say, here, you take over the earth. It won't happen. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Again, now Paul, he knows that his job is to enrich, strengthen, and have oversight over these churches. Caesarea, you know, that was where Peter went. We'll go back to Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision, an angel of God coming And saying to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who was called Peter. So Peter went to Caesarea, went to this guy, converted them. And Peter realized that the Gentiles were entering into the kingdom of God as well. But now Paul is going where other men have started churches, planted churches. Again, a great lesson for us. God uses multiple people from all through the region to form his church. God is at work forming his church. We're never alone. He has many, many people working among us to plant his church, to expand his church. This Antioch would be the Antioch and Pisida. The Jews, remember, they rose up against Paul there. There's two Antiochs. 
This isn't the one where the hub of the church is. That's the other one. But again, in this Antioch, there was turmoil. I'm sure there's still turmoil going on. These Jews still want to beat Paul. These Jews still want to get rid of Paul. They want to silence Paul. But they're restrained by the laws. So they leave them alone. But their venom hasn't ceased. But you know, all through this book of Acts, we see the same thing. Resistance. Resistance to Christianity. Some will accept. Some are impartial. And some openly resist and hate Christians. That will not change. It will not change on this side of eternity. But it's for our well-being, actually. James 1 tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Resistance, difficulties in the church is the maturing of the saints. God needs us to be mature saints. Paul had matured. We see him. He was matured through these trials, through these difficulties. He just continues on. He does what he's called for. And he gets a little wiser as he goes. But he continues his responsibility to God no matter what the circumstances are. He's been beaten in the past. He will be beaten in the future. He will be thrown in chains. He knows it. But he continues on. Resistance is part of normal Christianity. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Again, we see the result of Gallio's decision in protecting Paul, protecting the Christian religion as part of the Jewish religion. A huge advantage. Paul was moving through these regions And we don't see where he's getting threatened and beaten, pounced on or driven out. He's going freely, moving about at his own pace. Again, sinful men, I'm sure, are plotting against him. But the laws of a nation, when they're godly laws... The purpose of them has always been to restrict sinners from committing sins. That's what we must promote in our nation. Get back to godly and biblical principles that protects individuals in the view of God and his sight, his decrees, and his laws. That is essential for the health of a nation. A nation who strays further and further away from God's law, will go into disarray. And we see it in our own nation. We see it in our own nation. We will get off scot-free for 50 years of abortion in this nation. Where was the church when that came about? 
saying, Thus says the Lord. Part of it is because of the Great Commission, we do not understand it. Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know when I went to Covenant Reformed Church, I was taught that this meant disciple the nations. The nations. Unfortunately, many take this as disciple a few people out of the nations. Pluck a few here and there and let the nations go pagan. That is not what the original text of this means. It means disciple the nations. Bring the nations under the rule of Jesus Christ and his laws. You know, this pietism, this pietistic thing started about 300 years ago. It is still affecting how we look at the scriptures. We look at it as just individuals being pulled from a nation, yank one here, one there, and let the nations go to hell. That isn't the case. It's about changing the nations for Jesus Christ. And this must be our mindset for our eschatology, that we are here to change the nations. Change the nations to bring them back to under the rule of Christianity. Our nation had that at its founding. Many nations in the past showed this works. So when the nations stray away from God's law, they go into decline. You can see it historically, time and time again. A nation embraces Christianity. Christianity raises everything in that nation to a high level. And when they, they start forgetting about God's laws, start judging themselves by themselves, the nations decline. History shows it time and time again. We, our job is to disciple the nations. You know, and this seems like a, a, a difficult, impossible task for us, and it is. But we have to remember, God is near to us. God is working through us. And it's a piece of cake for him. In Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations rage? And the people plot, people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst our bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Our God laughs at these kings and these rulers. So we can say, well, why, why is our nation going to the pot? Why is it? Because the church is not doing its job. Period. We are to be the culture carrier. And it comes from this eschatology of victory that we must have, that our God can and will change the nation, and he uses us to do it. And when we're faithful in our part, 
and other saints are faithful in their part, God is faithful in his, and he will transform nations and people to come under submission to him. Then all people benefit, believers and non-believers. Freedom, property rights, everything is found in Christianity. God's laws, God's rule is the best for all people. God is continually working here on earth. He's bringing people, churches, under submission to him. It's because of faithful Christians. Faithful Christians. And now we see another faithful Christian brought into the scene here in Acts. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Again, we see God at work here bringing saints together where they're needed, And he brings us Apollos, a gifted man, to the church in Ephesus. Again, smart, gifted, enthusiastic, yet a little ignorant. He has not been taught the whole counsel of God. He's got the desire to preach. He's got the zeal. But he doesn't know some things. He hasn't been taught. My dad used to say, how do you know what you don't know? Simple phrase, but how do you know what you don't know? Someone has to teach you. You know, it tells us in Proverbs 16, 2, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. In King James, I think it says, zeal without knowledge is not good. He's a younger Christian, probably, in the faith anyway. He wants to share it. He's not afraid. But he just doesn't know everything. But you know what? Our God is faithful. Our God loves people like this. Tells us in Matthew 20, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. You know, God loves a saint that wants to do his part for the kingdom. And God will mature him as long as they are humble enough, humble enough to learn. And this is a a lesson that all of us must learn. You know, we're all on the sanctification road together. We don't know it all. We never will. But we should be growing in the faith, growing in the things of God, understanding the eschatology, learning as a congregation, and having the humility, the humility to say, yeah, you know, I believed this my whole life and I was wrong. When we're like the Bereans and we check the scriptures. You know, and there's podcasts, there's different authors. We learn this stuff from their writings or from other saints. Who should be striving for that maturity because a mature Christian is far more effective. You know, Proverbs 19.20 tells us, 
Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. We have to pray for God for discernment. Another saying my dad has, everybody you meet knows something that you don't know, so you can learn something from everybody. Again, another true statement. I know through my working in construction, I learned all kinds of tricks from people in the trades that I never thought of. And I thought, boy, that's obvious. Why didn't I think of it? Always learn, always be open for more and more wisdom. And godly advice comes from godly people. But God is there. He brings people together. You know, here he, this guy, it's Apollos, he's going at it in the synagogue. He's still ignorant, immature in the faith. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Great lesson here. Remember this Apollos, this was an educated guy. He sounds like he's right on par with Paul or close to it from his education. But still, he's humble enough. He's humble enough because he takes the advice of Apollos and Priscilla, who are tent makers. They're blue-collar people. They're saying to him, hey, you know, you got it wrong, brother. You got it. We, we're going to inform you on some things. But he was the wise one, the book-learned one. He listened to him. Again, it tells us now that a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, remember that's where the great library was, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So this guy was a scholar. Yet his wisdom came with his humility. Tent makers instructed him how to be more mature as a Christian. Again, wisdom can come from anybody. We have to discern it. We have to look at it and search it out. And many times the wisdom we obtain is from the writings of people who are no longer with us. So many times we get caught up in what's popular of the day for Christianity. You know, I cringe when I go by and I see these big churches, like a lot of these big cities, and a big sign, a new way to do church. And usually that's just saying a new way to accept the sins and we'll get by the rules of God. It's better if we go back to the old way, how the early church did it. Search the scriptures. Make sure it's true. Make sure, well, God, how it worked. I mean, it worked. Look at the churches worldwide. Here's where it started. This is our heritage. And he did learn. 
And when he wished to cross to Acaria, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Again, Apollo, now he was struggling with the Jewish leaders. But remember what it says in Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. He was powerfully refuting these Jews in public. He had the knowledge, he had the wisdom, he had the maturity where he could beat them down with biblical truth, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. That's the result of a Christian who is mature, a gifted man who is mature, using his gifts for God's church. God will use him greatly. We see that now. He's mentioned later on. But God uses each and every one of us. We can never sit there and say, well, I can't witness that person. Look at all the, the... Degrees and the letters behind his name, PhD, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, they may be very educated in their fields. But they don't know it all. None of us do. And we go when it comes to biblical truth, and we can back it up by the scriptures, God will use that even for us blue-collar workers to educate very wise people in the world. Unfortunately, many times, the wisdom, the wise of this world are not humble enough to take a rebuke, to be corrected. It's sad, but that's the way it is. Their pride gets in the way. But for us, I think, We must look at ourselves honestly that we don't know it all. Look at ourselves and have the humility to say that we're still in a learning pattern here, but we want to keep in that learning pattern to be more mature for the faith, more mature for the church, and more mature for our nation. That was what it means to disciple the nation having the courage to stand up and say, thus says the Lord. This is his law, and you're breaking it. There will be tension, there will be trials. But as we've seen through this book of Acts, many political leaders, many town leaders, many synagogue leaders bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. God uses the pagans to make good laws to allow Paul to work freely. Our God is near to us and working with us. This church, talking the church universal, will increase. It will put these nations under God's feet. It's just a matter of whether 
we participate in it or not. And the more we mature, the more we play our part in advancing God's kingdom. We must have that eschatology of victory. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, give us the strength to realize that as we go on, yeah, we're weak and we're pathetic, and we know it. But we have a mighty God who laughs and scoffs at these rulers, these officials, the wise of the world. He will put them in derision when the church faithfully stands up and says, thus says the Lord. We represent a great God. We're not great in ourselves. Give us the humility to learn, to mature, and to ponder the things we read and hear about. And let your Holy Spirit guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.